Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. And the last time we covered the healings, the miraculous healings that Jesus performed, and what a joy it was to see his compassion on us and compassion on mankind to do these things. Uh, And today we're going to see the calling of the 12 and their instructions. Now, there are a lot of newfangled methods out there. There's a lot of ministries that 2,000 years later, you would almost think that it took so long to perfect discipleship, Uh, some of these methods coming out. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to follow the one from the Son of God. I'm going to follow the one that's written right in front of us, the one who created the discipleship and the one who created the disciples and us. So I want to jump into that. Starting with verse 1, it says, And when he, Jesus, had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. What I want to do, uh, as you see this calling, and, and you'll see disciples and then apostles, and I'm going to explain that, but what I want to show really is a fulfillment that was in their time. Obviously, he's telling them personally what he wants them to do, these people that are in his presence. Uh, two, Look for a fulfillment in our time and also the tribulation period. And more the next half of this that we cover, we'll see more of what Jesus says in the end times prophecy, more of tribulation period. And what's interesting is that the tribulation will be a very difficult time to be alive and to exist in. It's the time after the the rapture, after God calls his saints home. But we know that the Holy Spirit will still be doing a work on planet Earth. Um, we see today economy. You know, it's not just our economy. There's problems in Europe. There's problems in a lot of the world. We see uprisings, okay, uh, in, in a lot of the world. I mean, there's a, a Jasmine rebellion in China, but the Chinese government is very harsh with their people. Uh, the Iranian, there, there's been uprisings. And they, and, in some of these countries, it's not like here. They, they'll kill you, you know, if they think that you want to fight the government and try to find freedom. Uh, We see nuclear nations that the United States and many countries are afraid, they're concerned that the wrong government will take place and they'll become a rogue nuclear nation. So really the stage is set for what we will see, we'll be seeing it from the mezzanine if we're a believer in Christ, uh, come upon the earth. And lastly, most importantly for us today, is the application for me. When I go home today, how can I take what Jesus said to his apostles and learn something and apply it in my life. Now, you may be a little confused with the whole time period thing. Uh, If you're a a non-believer or you've recently come to the Lord, and especially when you read uh, prophecy, the prophecy chapters, God speaks about something today, then he'll speak about something that happened 200 years ago, then he'll speak about something that happens 1,000 years in the future, and to him, he sees it all at the same time as an, an aerial view. However, we see things... We see things by sort of like frames in a picture. What I said two minutes ago is, is the past, and it's going to remain in the past. What I'm going to say in two minutes is the future, but when two minutes comes, it's going to be the present, and then two minutes later than that, it's going to be the past. But God sees everything at the same time. So I'll try to, especially in the second half of this, make some sense of it for you. Now, we do see an introduction to the disciples. 
these guys were a cross-section of society. You had a tax collector, and that was a nice name because Matthew really was a traitor to his own people. You had, a, you had fishermen. You had a zealot you know, looking to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, nobody came as a superstar. They were ordinary men. And I would ask you, are you an ordinary person that the Lord can use? Is there a willingness in your heart to be used by God? Are you available? That's a good start. It's a really good start. So we see them go from disciples to apostles. Now, what is a disciple? Well, if you look up the word, it means a student, literally. A disciple is one who learns. And they go, and they, they're called now apostles. What is an apostle? When we look up that word, it says that it's a messenger or an ambassador. In that Greek word, the Greeks would use that word to send their apostles, their ambassadors, to other countries to represent the king. Well, the disciples are... The apostles will represent the king of kings and lord of lords. And I would just caution with this caveat. There are some that claim to be apostles today. There were certain criteria that were fulfilled in that time period for God to give a particular commission in that time period, of course, that we can't fulfill. However, if you look at this, just like the disciples, just like the students, we sit at the foot of the cross. We read God's word. We learn about who he is. We pray. So in a sense, we're learners, we're pupils. And then at some point, there comes a time where we take that information and when God builds us up spiritually, that we do something with it. As believers, we're not really called to be lifelong disciples and just sit and learn. At some point, God wants us to put what we've learned to good use. Now last Sunday, we read where Jesus said that the harvest is ripe but the laborers are few. And that still holds true. And my question is, where are you today? There's a lot of books written on purpose. It's a great marketing technique because most of the world is walking around without a sense of purpose. And sadly, there are Christians who are also walking around without a sense of purpose. However, when we serve the Lord, we are a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. Much bigger than ourselves. And I've said this before, we're losing a whole generation. Let me now point to the youth. And I wanted the young people to sit in service today and really meditate on what I'm saying. Uh, the statistics show that teens, 20s and 30s, churches are losing. They're, they're trying all kinds of different things. They're lost. There's a lost generation. Uh, I, and I've covered this before. There's a whole subculture of 20s and 30-somethings that are addicted to heroin, a whole, it's just amazing. When I go to work, I see it so prevalent. You know, almost every day there's an issue with somebody being addicted to heroin. Right? It's very, very sad. But what's the common denominator in these two things? Well, the youth is looking. They're searching. When you shoot heroin, you forget about your problems for a while. But those problems are still waiting for you when you come down. And then it breeds a cycle. This stuff is deadly. Right? So there's a lot of things going on out there. And I would say this. When I did uh, tell one of the parents uh, that I was, wanted to keep the youth in today and I wanted him to hear this message, he said, uh, well, is the message do what your parents say or else? Sad to say that's not the message today, but maybe another time. <laughs> but to the youth, you have a big mission field ahead of you. It is amazing what the Lord can do in your life. One single person. It is amazing, right? Now, you're kind of in that period where 
it's tough being a young person, especially a teen, because you're kind of, you're looking for your independence. You're trying to assert who you are. You're looking for that independence. But at the same time, you want your parents to pay for everything. Seems reasonable, right? Teenagers? <laughs> right? I want to I be out on my own. I want you to come in later at night. But can you pay, I need 50 bucks for gas, or can you pay for my car insurance? So it is a difficult time. And maybe some of you feel that adults don't take you seriously enough. But I can tell you that God does, right? That God can use you. That I try to reach out to youth, and I do a fairly decent job. I mean, I'm in my early 40s, so I'm still kind of cool. It's, you know. <laughs> But the thing is, you have a much greater opportunity than I have. And before you think I'm putting too much pressure on you, just by your lifestyle, just by living who you are, you may say, well, I don't know all those scriptures. Just by submitting yourself to Christ, right? And for your other friends who are, who are wayward and awkward and, and uh, stumbling over life and making poor choices, and they look to you and you're still a force of stability. That may be all it takes for, for, the, 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 for it to come to you or come to your way. So I would just say that I think that you, young people, have a special dispensation. And the Lord can do some great things with you. So pray about that. Now we're going to go through these 18 points of apostleship. We're going to cover nine today and nine uh, in two Sundays. And let's see what we can learn. So the first thing we see is that the apostles had power. Power. The world loves power. Men love power. Gaddafi doesn't want to give up his reign in Libya. He'll, he'll, he'll have his jets bomb villages and send his hitmen out to take out certain rebellious leaders. Men do not want to give up power. But the power that God gives us is in the Holy Spirit. This isn't a power that can be taken from us. This is a, a righteous power. This is a power that God wants us to have. So we see they have this power over demons and healing the sick. Pretty impressive. The apostles did have a special dispensation. However, the Holy Spirit was given later in life or later in, in the Gospels to all his believers. Now, when we talk about power over healing the sick, sometimes, and, and I've been a part of this, you pray for somebody and immediately they get better. It doesn't happen all the time. You know, it probably doesn't happen the majority of the time. However, then there are those that God wants us to be persistent with in prayer, continually coming before him. And... Uh, you know, the studies show, I've read a lot of studies about uh, medical establishments saying that patients who pray and have people pray for them get better than those that don't. Now, instead of attributing it to God, they will say, well, it's the power of positive suggestion because they don't want to admit God. But the truth is, those who have a faith, who are praying, who have a relationship with the Lord, get better. They heal, right? So that's important. Um, Shari, our uh, assistant pastor's wife, gave me permission to use this. She does have an open testimony, and she survived two forms of primary cancer. She is literally a walking miracle. Now, we also know that God wants to heal the soul, the healing of the spiritual. He's always open to somebody coming to faith and having their spirits regenerated. So the second thing that we see is that they're sent out in pairs. As you see me reading this um, these guys are grouped together in pairs. Mark's gospel tells us that, and Matthew introduces them in pairs. There's a few reasons why this is important. Number one, it's, there's a, a, an understanding from the Old Testament. There's a concept of witnesses, of doing things in twos. 
And sometimes we would be tempted to do something if we were all by ourselves than if we had a peer with us. Hopefully they help us to do the right thing and not the wrong thing. But they're going out in pairs. Before uh, DNA, forensic, and fingerprints, well, the Old Testament said you had to have witnesses, especially if it was a major crime. How many people saw this? How many people want to you know, swear that, that this happened? So we see this. Why? Because men lie, unfortunately. And the disciples would certainly be subject to those uh, tarnishing their reputation. Two, there's an accountability issue. I remember years ago when my partner and I went to a disturbance call in an apartment complex, and we ran up the stairs, and there was officers outside, and we go to the suspected apartment, the doors open, we go in the front, he goes out the back, and my partner's, and all of a sudden we see this table filled with money, hundreds, cash, all over the place. And my partner says, you stay here with the money, I'll go talk to you know, the other, I'm like, no. Even back then I had the sense, I don't want to be alone with this. And even though I wasn't tempted to take it, I didn't want the appearance or possibility, oh, that guy, how long was he alone in that apartment with all that cash? I didn't even want that appearance. So there's an appearance issue also. And as Christians, we should want accountability. We should want to do things with our brothers and sisters. We should want uh, to do things that it wouldn't cast a negative light on us or tarnish the reputation of Christ. We're not an army of one. We fit together as the body. The third point was, third point of apostleship is, these men represented Jesus, right? It was an honor to represent the creator king as an ambassador until he returns. Now again, our representation may be as simple as drawing people to our lifestyle, right? To be that, that strong force in the midst of chaos, for our peers to see how we live our lives and how we try to do things honorably, even if it means that we won't, won't get ahead. Because we are, brothers and sisters, everybody here, if you are a believer, you are an ambassador to the king. Now, if you go to a, a powerful country, uh, the most powerful country, and the king says to you, I want you to be my ambassador, Russ, you know, that is an honorable position. There's a lot of things that come with that position. And there's also a, a behavior and a decor that also come with that position. So let me jump into verse five. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, of the house of Israel. And as you go preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So what does he say in these first few verses? He says, don't go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city 
of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the fourth point is know your audience. Know your audience. When I used to uh, be in English class, my English teacher would say, know your audience. Who are you writing to? Who are you addressing? Don't be stumbled by the whole thing about not going to the Gentiles. Technically, probably most of us here are Gentile believers. But don't let that, that bother you because Jesus eventually goes in, in John chapter 4, to Samaria. He spends time in, in the village, uh, and he spends time with the people there. And we know that in Mark 16, he says, go to all of the earth. So why this? Well, Israel strayed from being a witness to the Gentiles, and God afforded them every opportunity to repent and to be what they were designed to be. You know what that shows me? That God never gives up on us. You understand that? No matter what you did, no matter what your situation, God never gives up on you individually, on me. He didn't give up on the Jews, and he's not going to give up on us. And we know that the Jews comprised the early church, the majority, and were a base to receive the Gentiles into the fold. It's pretty good. So the question is, believers, who is our audience in the 21st century? The answer is everyone and anyone. Every person you meet, if they don't know the Lord, is somebody that God wants a relationship with. And these times, I'm convinced, these difficult times will bring more and more opportunity. Somebody coined the phrase, and, and pastors have been using it for a long time now, called building a bridge. Right? Building a bridge. Not ramming something down a person's throat, but that patient evangelism. Well, Pastor Lloyd Pulley wrote a book on that. Great book. And we'll see later in the lodging. We'll cover some of that. Verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The fifth point is the message. What is the message? It's great to have all the other accoutrements and all the other things that go along with it, but what is the message? You go to different houses of worship, and you'll get different messages. The message is everything. You understand? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Great. Now, for the apostles, they probably figured, well, does that mean that now we get to take on the Romans, we conquer them because you're our Messiah, and we take back what the Romans took from us? Mm, not so fast, guys. The first thing that needed to happen was the believers needed to get their hearts right with the Lord. People needed to come to faith. It's important. Bad heart, bad leader. We can't be a leader until our hearts are right. Uh, this whole Old Testament picture of the Messiah was mixed, you know, and different, even some of the same prophetic books, you would see the Messiah come as a lion and the Messiah come as a lamb. Well, Jesus came and straightened it out. The lamb first. He needs, God wants your heart. The lion will come later. It's definitely coming. What's the message today? Well, the kingdom of heaven is still at hand. And right now, for, for any of you, it's literally within your grasp. It's right in front of you if you want it. The Bible says when two or more are gathered in Christ's name, he is there in the midst. You know, if today could be your day of salvation if you don't know the Lord. Um, between the time that Jesus said this and now, what happened between that was the cross. So the kingdom of heaven is even closer because at this time, Jesus actually hadn't died for man's sins yet. So what we, what we read now is Christ has already paid that, that price, that, that incredible price that we couldn't afford to pay for our sins for us offending God. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Lord can come back now and redeem his creation and, and establish his kingdom at any point in time. Could happen today, could happen a year from now, who knows? Only God knows that. So what is the message for today? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. And we say it so quickly. For God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son. For God so loved the world. And that word means, if you, if you look at it in the Bible, that Greek word cosmos is the rebellious world, the sinful world, the world that turned its back on God, the world that thumbed its nose at God. God loves that world, sinners, that he gave his only begotten son, that, that Christ came from his heavenly abode down to the earth and took upon man's sin, right? That whosoever would believe on him, the sacrifice that he made for our sins, the only way to heaven, would not perish, be damned to hell, but have eternal life. That's the message, the message of love. Verse 8, he says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And I love watching the disciples go through this. You know, they try and, and you know, the, they, they, they fail and they mess up. And Jesus says, you know, oh, you of little faith. And he teaches them and he's gentle with them. But he gave them the ability to do those things. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Six point, it's their MO, their modus operandi, right? These were observable demonstrations to support the message. These were their credentials to distinguish them from the false messiahs of the day. Remember, in this time period, if you were an observant Jew, you understood that there were scriptures that spoke about that particular time period when the messiah would come. So some false messiahs rose up to try to take advantage of them, and we read about some of their names in the Bible, but nobody's following them today because they were false messiahs. So this is the things that they would do. And Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Somewhere along the way, some of the churches lost this message. Right? Listen, as believers, we tithe, we want to support our local church, but that's between a believer and the Lord, not to be coerced by the leadership. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this particular story where somebody comes to me in tears and says, my father or my mother passed away, and before I could get somebody from the church to come out, they had to check my tithing records. Otherwise, they wouldn't send somebody out. That's awful. Right? That's awful. But even worse than that is that money should never be attached to the free gift of eternal life. Did you ever see like um, a soap company will uh, send out like a case of soaps free of charge, and in it are little mini soaps, and it says not for resale, toothpaste, things like that? Why does it say that? Because the soap company gave it out for free. They don't want somebody making money off of something that was supposed to be intended for free. Okay, maybe not the best example, but with the gospel, it's free. Salvation is free. It's not for man now to take that message and to tie strings to it and hook some and bring them in and and hold them in subjection. It's the free gift of eternal life, right? The maxim should also apply to anything else we give out of love. Now, I would say this, that money can't compare to the blessings that, you know, and I've been blessed with some things, material things, and, you know, I I can't compare my material blessings with spiritual blessings, seeing somebody come to Christ, seeing somebody maybe who was suicidal. Every year in our town, there's, um, there's a railroad, a train that comes through every day, and I tell you, every year there's somebody who just walks in front of the train. 
and gets hit by that train, and that's it. They're done. That's sad. That's what's out there in the world. And the more this is happening, stock market crash many decades ago, people were jumping out the windows because they felt that their only value was tied to money. It's a very sad world out there. But to talk to someone and give them hope when they want to take their lives and to see them turn around and smile and change because they feel a sense of value and worth from the Lord, that's priceless. That is something that money can't buy. And they're, they're with us. They're around us every day. Verse 9. He says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a, worth, a worker is worthy of his food. So the seventh thing we see here is equipment. Lord, how much equipment do I need? Very little earthly equipment. We see in Ephesians 6 that we're supposed to put on the armor of God, but it's not something that's tangible, right? It's spiritual armor. Pretty neat. The apostles were to, pr- to practice living by faith in God and trust in his pr- provisions. You ever hear the expression, I got to have my ducks in a row? How many have heard that? Okay, so it's very common in our society. Over-preparation. It's going to be my, by me. I did it my way. I'm a self-made person. Those type of expressions. Sometimes that indicates a lack of true trust in the Lord, and there's sometimes believers who do that. I mean, all of us have a measure of control issues, don't we? I mean, we're New Jerseyans. We have a measure of control issues. It's funny that even in the church, when we, we want to fingerprint those that are serving with our kids, you know, we want to afford all the possible, um, all the possible protections for our children. We have a very thriving youth ministry. And uh, I know that there's even some believers. I say, okay, you got to relax your hand, and I'm going to roll your fingers. And it's like the claw, you know. <laughs> ah! You know, I've got to, like, relax your fingers, you know? you know. Look at something else. You know, pretend your hand doesn't exist. But believers, we have control issues, right? We want to be overprepared. And that's not how God wants to send us out, because then we could take the credit for it. And the corollary to all this now is that the, word, the, word, the worker is worthy of his food. That's an Old Testament concept. Let those that minister be blessed by those that they're blessing. In biology, we would call that symbiosis. Two organisms, well, sometimes it's parasitic, but let's just say it's not. Two organisms, you know, give to each other and they need each other for survival. That's called symbiosis, right? We are the body of Christ. On the one extreme, we talked about the false shepherd who fleeces the flock and uses the fear of the afterlife to manipulate their congregation. On the other hand, the man man or woman of God needs to be humble enough to receive blessings when somebody offers it. And I know some that are like that. They just, oh no, you shouldn't have, I, I won't take it, and it becomes contentious. Somebody wants to bless you, just let them bless you, right? Sometimes that's rooted in pride too. Okay, verse 11. It says, Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it, who, who in it is worthy, and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah 
in the day of judgment than for that city. So the eighth point here is mannerisms. Now we have to understand Middle Eastern hospitality, and it's always neat because, again, I'm, I'm an East Coaster in the United States. So I sometimes read these things, and I kind of go into the culture at the time, what was etiquette, what was protocol, what did they do back then? Well, even today in the Middle East, in many areas, that hospitality is big. You know, they want to take you in. It is an honor for them to put you up and feed you and treat you like family. Sometimes we, in New Jersey, we're kind of overly concerned about privacy or personal space, or maybe some never open their home when they, when they have the ability to do so because of the kind of mentality that we have in this area. But the disciples were to let themselves be welcomed and to be put up and not offend if possible. Now, here's, here's another interesting phrase. Inquire who is worthy and stay there. Who is worthy? It's a person who's interested in God's message of reconciliation. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If not, let your peace depart. Now, is that a magic trick? That you just kind of leave this invisible thing there? Or if not, you're going to say, well, I'm taking my peace back. No, it's not. We know that in Romans 5, the Bible tells us that only through Jesus Christ can we have peace through God. The unrepentant sinner doesn't really realize that judgment is hanging over their head. And if they pass before and and they continue to rebel against God, they will stand and face judgment. Romans 5 tells us, us in, in, in essence, there's a ceasefire. That the enmity between sinful man and a holy God is, is dissolved now through the blood of the cross. So there is a peace with God. And if, if there's a rebellion or a refusal to accept that, then the peace doesn't rest there. And there, there are false pieces in the world. We know that in the tribulation times, in the book of Revelation, right, with the Antichrist, there will be a false peace. All the while, he is scheming and manipulating and working behind the scenes to try to destroy Israel and people of faith. So, oh, wait, this is great. No more suicide bombings. No more riots or rebellions. This Antichrist is really going to do some job in the world. And everyone's going to practically worship this guy. But it's a false peace. It's only temporary. So understand that. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 3, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another expression, another custom, shake the dust off from your feet. And God will judge those rejecting cities harsher than Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire and brimstone. There's consequences. And, and you see this, again, even in the Middle East, when the Saddam Hussein statue went down, the locals were following it with their sandals and, and hitting the statue with their sandals. Now, if you don't understand the culture, like, what are they doing? To, to receive the bottom of somebody's foot was an insult. So to take the, shake the dust off of your feet was insulting. I don't even want to take your dust with me. That's what it meant. So there was a consequence of rejection. Now, where do we stand in society? We're kind of getting further and further away from the things of God. We're getting further and further away from consequences, aren't we? All right, who's in the news a lot lately? I mean, there's so so many important things, but you keep seeing Lindsay Lohan and Charlie Sheen, right? (laughs) It's funny. Everybody knows who they are because you can't watch TV or read a paper without seeing them in the paper. Where's the consequences there, right? Charlie Sheen is, de- is deceived. And in one thing I read that he claims to be a born-again Christian. I don't know where the evidence is on that. Lindsay Lohan, you know, she has the ability to make millions of dollars, but she's got to keep stealing. Maybe she should do some time in jail and let her think about things. 
And you might say, Pastor Joe, that's mean. You're a pastor. Right. But there's consequences. Like the prodigal son, it wasn't until he hit rock bottom did he realize that he was messed up, that he sinned against his father. It took those hard circumstances. See, we, we say grace, 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 but let's not talk about a perversion of grace. Let's not talk about putting salvation on an unrepentant sinner. There's got to be repentance. You know, when I started reading the Bible, <laughs> I'm reading and reading, and I liked it, but I was like, oh, my God, I hope I don't die tonight because I'm toast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we read the things of God and realize that we fall short, and it caused me to get on my knees and beg for his mercy, and he did. And he was, he, he's always merciful. So I guess my question to you is, where are you today when it comes to this? Are you stiff-necked? Are you here because somebody made you come and you're stomaching some of the things that I say? Or is God's word sinking in? And if you're actually getting angry right now, that's a good thing because God's word is powerful. To some, it will cause a, a sigh of relief. Okay, this is the way to salvation. To some, they will, they will kick against it. They will fight. They will get angry. I'll get dirty looks. See it all the time. <laughs> It isn't me you're going to face in the judgment, trust me. You know, so you know, consider that. Verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The ninth point is temperament or personal uh, disposition of the apostle or the follower of Christ. We are sheep in the midst of wolves. That is the truth. The world system is opposed to God. Now, this blows me away because the wor- this is what the world, the same word cosmos is used for, the world system. They're against God. They're against God's people. There's a tension. There's a resistance. And God still loves them. That is awesome about the God I serve, that he still loves them and he wants as many of them as possible to come to repentance. That's the, just the graciousness of our God. I'll give you a few, few examples. There's a movie coming out called Soul Surfer. How many of you heard of that? Teenage girl, um, devout Christian home, attacked by a shark. The shark, they either have to amputate it or the shark eats so much of her arm that she's missing an arm now. The girl goes back into the water and she's surfing now with one arm. Right? And they wanted to make a movie about it, but sneakily, the producers sanitized a lot of this, the Christian parts out of it. And the family said, well, no, no, that's part and parcel to the story. You can't take that out of there. And it, was a, it ended up in the paper. The world is, well, well, you know, God forbid we make a good movie, right? There's another movie coming out that a believer told me, or I wouldn't have known about it, called The Grace Card. It's about a police officer who's also a pastor. That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> a lot of good stuff in the movie. It's about redemption. It's about race issues. It's about... Uh, just grace. That's why it's called the grace card. It's a play on the race card. And, uh, you know, the place that my wife and I go to the movie theater, they don't carry it. I got to go all the way down to Hamilton to see it. I'm going to go see it this week. You know, God forbid you make a movie about good qualities. Hollywood did that decades ago. They don't anymore. You know, they'll put out all the blood and guts, shoot them up, adultery that they call a love story. You know, that's in the movies, but they won't show this stuff. Or they'll try to take the Christian themes out of it. And I will say this to you. If the world system never opposes you, maybe your faith isn't very observable to it. 
keep that in mind. So, what is our attitude? Well, on one extreme, and these are extremes, is to be aggressive and purposely offensive, you know, because we've got to fight for the kingdom. You see that, the, how many of you are familiar with the Westboro Baptist uh, Church in Topeka, Kansas? They hold up placards at military funerals, re- really vile stuff. I cringe every time they show that on TV. But they are offensive, and they don't have the message of God's love and grace. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. On the other extreme, is it to recoil in fear and to constantly be taking advantage of because we have no discernment? No. Jesus preached balance. Number one, to be harmless as doves. Not to pick fights, not to start an armed revolution. As a matter of fact, in Burma, the Burmese government has put out a statement because they want their country to be mostly, they're a large majority of Buddhists, and they feel that Christianity is growing and they're concerned. So they tell their people to take advantage. They said, this Christianity is a very gentle religion. Use that and take advantage of that. Use it to their disadvantage. What a testimony, you know what I'm saying? But on the other extreme, to be wise as serpents. You know, some say, well, you know, serpents aren't very wise. You try to uh, do what they do with no arms, legs, or wings. Uh, they're pretty good. You ever see a sidewinder, the way those things go through the desert? They're in... There's, they're in the desert, it's dry, it's hot. They got no arms, no legs, and no wings, and it's amazing how they survive. They're very resourceful. So I don't think it's you know, um, an accident that Jesus used that word. Discernment and wisdom. Now, the gospel will still be offensive to some, but that doesn't mean that we have to be offensive. Now, why? Because, and I've heard the gospel many a times before I came to salvation, I was offended because my life was offensive. And I didn't want somebody telling me who didn't know me that well that what I was doing was wrong and God was angry at me. I don't want to hear what you have to say. But it was true. And eventually I stopped running from the Lord. So the message in itself will be offensive at times, but we're not to be offensive. We're to, we're to deliver it in love. Now sit tight because we're going to go through the next nine points. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> next time. So what do we have so far with these nine points? Does it sound easy? not easy to me. This has to be done uh, in the spirit. It's not going to be done in the flesh. We need the power, number one, one of the earliest ones we spoke about, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I would just say this to you young people. Again, you know in your high schools and in your schools, you know the girl who's had one or more abortions. You know the girl who has dysfunctional relationships with men because she's looking for love in all the wrong places. You may be that force of stability for her. You know, don't push her away. See if you can reach out. You also know the boy who maybe was picked on, maybe who has become a loner. Maybe he's into some dark things. Maybe he's a powder keg waiting for the right spark to explode. See, these things happen in schools all the time. As believers, do we continue to mock them because that's what the cool crowd is doing? Or do we smile or try to be friendly or be available if they want to talk to us? Their lives, you all know someone whose lives are in turmoil. And you may come from a good Christian home. You may have the understanding of the things of God. And your mere presence, your mere example, your mere warmth to them might be an example in itself. It might open doors as an opportunity. I've said before, these results are awe-inspiring. 
Who'd have thought the math, you know, one person at a time, one is such a small number when we think of eight billion people on the planet Earth. One is small, but there's a multiplication effect. You understand? Be a part of something greater than yourself. But there's one thing that we need in addition to all this is to be willing. Are we willing? Let's pray. Father in